Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. Welcome, Stasha Washburn. Hello. It's so good to have you here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I think I'm going to learn a lot because your area of expertise is something I've never really, frankly, understood. So I am really excited to get in there and talk to you. But before we do, I want to introduce you to this audience, if that's okay. Perfect. So everyone, this is my friend, Stasha Washburn. She is the period coach, the bloody kind, not the grammar kind, a dancer, chef, sword fighter, speaker, author, skateboarder, INTJ, foul-mouthed, football-loving, high-chi-practicing, digital nomad. Stasha will go anywhere as long as there's a tea kettle and Wi-Fi. She's also a certified holistic health coach whose 20-plus years of research in an attempt to heal her own complex chronic illness have fueled her passion to reconnect women to the power in their periods. She leads the bloody revolution to end the taboo of menstruation worldwide. No longer whispers in bathrooms, she's leading powerful public discussions. So I give you Stasha Washburn and thank you so much for being here in the Healing Grove. Oh, well thank you so much for having me. I like being in the Grove. (laughs) Yay. So we have a lot to talk about today, but before we get into it, I want to hear from you and I want you to share with this audience your own journey because you had a long journey with complex chronic illness. Would you be willing to share that with us? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say still do. Um, So I have not been formally diagnosed with endometriosis. However, I am a classic case of endometriosis. All of the painful periods. I mean, the pain was so bad, it caused me to pass out every single month. So imagine being in high school and just collapsing in the middle of the hallway. That's fun, maybe is not the word I would use. Wow, so Um, literally on the floor in like near the lockers. Yeah, I remember standing in front of my locker one day and getting really just like, I broke out in a cold sweat and I felt the pain just hit me like a wave. And I I just went down like a ton of bricks. I remember passing out in, I think it was an English class and waking up in the nurse's office. I, re- I was going home uh, from Manhattan to Brooklyn on the subway one time and I was clinging to the subway pole, just clinging to consciousness because I did not want to hit the floor of a New York City subway, let alone be unconscious in a New York City subway. So I... I I remember many a, a moment throughout my young adults and adults, early adult life anyway. Um, yeah, it was just absolutely horrifying, scary. I passed out in the shower one time. My parent, I mean, my mom 
kind of knew it was my period and she was just kind of like, you know, dad's going, Oh, we got to call an ambulance. And you know, mom's like, she's got her period. What's an ambulance going to do? Like, <laughs> you know, so I just remember those, those just distinct moments of just blacking out and then waking up minutes later, many minutes later, depending on how bad it was, but. And you yeah. were blacking out because the pain was so intense. Yeah, I mean, whether it was a shift in hormones that just happened really rapidly, if it was the, just the level of pain overwhelming me, combo effect, yeah. um, no one actually knows. And there's really not much information on endometriosis. In fact, there's a few studies that have come out that have said things like people with endometriosis have different gut bacteria. What that means, nothing. Just that there's a different gut bacteria that seems to, and so like with myself and clients, I've done a lot of working with probiotics, you know, lots of fermented foods and they seem to help and make a difference. So, but we don't know. I mean, it's all just, it's the only studies that exist are really just simply like, well, we found this thing out. Don't know, no, don't know what it means. Don't know what kind of effect it has. Couldn't tell you anything past the fact that this, you know, don't even know if that actually, you know, means anything right. but you know so that's there's really nothing that we know so the why that happened not particularly sure but as as i figured things out and sort of started to put myself into quote unquote remission um i stopped blacking out so whatever it was that was happening it eased as the other symptoms eased alongside with it got it you have to have a surgery to be diagnosed. And, you know, for those of you watching who aren't in the US in the 90s and aughts, you didn't have health insurance after high school. And none of us could afford college and an apartment and health insurance. So I didn't have health insurance until I was in my late 30s. So I never had the surgery done. It was elective. Uh, so I never had any diagnosis. And now, since I'm in, remission as I call it, it doesn't seem worth having an, a surgery right. at this point. So I've never confirmed it. Someday they'll have like a 23andMe endo test and I'll, I'll take it then. But it's passed down through the matriarchal line. My mom had it. My aunt had it. I have all of the classic symptoms of it. So so let's I back up even one step further because there are probably some people who've never heard that word before and even even some women who would like can't imagine periods causing that kind of pain because that's not right they're in so can you give us kind of like a just quick overview of what mm -hmm. it is basically it's the endometrial tissue growing outside of the uterus it causes really intense cramps and pain when ovulating or or menstruating or premenstrual um, it can also adhere to the bowel, the bladder, the intestine. It can be in, in joints. And in fact, men can have it. It's a small percentage of the cases, but there are cases of men who have been diagnosed with it. Time out. In the joints. Time I know. Out. But where did the endometrial, so endometrial tissue is the lining on the inside of the womb or the uterus. Why are they, wow. So it's. I said, we don't know anything. <laughs> That's like it. That's all we know. Wow. The majority of women, or the majority of people who have it are women with a menstrual cycle and it, it starts in that surrounding area and it expands. Majority. 
Yeah. Um, there is some research that shows that it's less of a hormonal imbalance and more like an autoimmune disorder, though it does not react to the autoimmune drugs, pharmaceuticals that we have. So they won't classify it as an autoimmune disorder, at least at the moment, but say that it really seems to work in the body like an autoimmune disorder. So I approached it very similar in my own process of trying to figure out how to fix myself. So I did the elimination gut diet, the gut healing protocols. And those are the things that really got me into this place of feeling like I'm in a level of remission. That said, if I do something that triggers it, like gluten is one of those things for me. If I have some, my next period will be bad. So it's not cured, right? You're not, you don't get like an immediate gluten reaction, but you just- I do now. You do, okay. But when I first started doing this, I did not. So when I first started doing the elimination, I would put stuff back in and I wouldn't have an immediate reaction to any of it. I just charted and looked at my next period and I went, oh, my next period is crap. Let's take that back out. Um, but now after, well, it was six months of being truly gluten-free after two years of doing like 30-day cleanses at least three times a year, just trying to get my back and the gut healing. So about two years of on and off with a full six months. And then I did have gluten. I was in the middle of nowhere at a wedding with only like mac and cheese and sliders as the food. So I ate it thinking, oh, well, I'll just have to take my next period off of work and be really conscious and take care of myself and just make time to be in the bathroom for three days and, you know, in pain and, and all the side effects. But that night I had a horrible reaction to it. And that's when I went, okay, this is definitely it because I had an immediate reaction. I looked like I was nine months pregnant that night, just <laughs> swelled up. Yeah. So that's when I went, okay, it really is the gluten. Like that's really a non-negotiable period. Like there's no, oh, I can sneak in a little sugar here and there. It was none. So I, I'm glad you're saying that. I feel the same way about gluten. I mean, there are other, if you're going to cheat, don't cheat with gluten is basically yeah. the bottom line. Cause it's not, it's not even a passive bystander allergen. If your gut's inflamed, your gut can be inflamed or leaky, but regardless, if you put gluten in your mouth, you're going to be dealing with antibodies in your system made against that gluten for probably nine months and they can do all sorts of things. So yeah, I don't, I don't mess around with gluten. Nope. That's my one non-negotiable for sure. So what are the other things you said? The elimination diets were things that helped kind of begin to put you into remission. Like what are your, what's your hot list of things that are non-negotiables besides gluten? For me, caffeine. Um, and I mean, those are really my two non-negotiables, the caffeine. And that's, Honestly, the caffeine, while it would be out of my system, depending on when I had it in my cycle before my next period, it will, like, even if I had it right after my period, it will linger enough to cause an awkward and uncomfortable premenstrual phase. Um, but like I can have a decaf in the early part of my cycle, but I can't even have a decaf in the second half of my cycle. Like it's just, even the decaf is too much. So I really just went, I just don't do it anymore. I have like roasted root teas and roasted dandelion teas and stuff like that. And I've just said, you know what, forget it. It's just not worth it. Much like the gluten, just forget it. It's just not worth it. Sugar is kind of a eh, one like, yeah, sure. I can special occasion here and there, but I can't go too crazy. There's a line. Like, and I know that line, I've been doing this with my own body long enough that I'm like, mm, we've hit the line. We got to like 30 day sugar-free cleanse. We got to like just cold 
in Turkey for at least 30 days and reset the system. But those are the big ones. Dairy is not so much of a problem for me. The women who I've worked with with endometriosis, almost all of them have had a dairy problem. I have a limit. Like I can do cow and, or I can do sheep and goat and raw cow dairy, like Parmesan cheese or, you know, a raw cheddar cheese or something. Pasteurized milk does not work out well for me and cow milk. But like I said, my other clients are like no dairy at all. For them, that's a hard no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the good news is no human actually needs dairy. I mean, dairy's super, super important if you're a baby cow, for example. Right. <laughs> and the rest of us take our chances. So interesting. Yeah. So I have one more because right so far you've just listed off the like four of the five things that I tell all people who come to me with Lyme, like mm-hmm. whether or not they do an elimination diet, which they should do first to reduce inflammation mm-hmm. and see what should be on their plate. But I say, and don't add these five things back until you are fully back to rock star health. So they're the same four things you just mentioned and alcohol. What does alcohol do for you and your, your clients? Yeah, you know, that's a big one. I've, I don't know a single one of us that deals with alcohol very well. Um, I, I have the added twist of having several concussions over my lifetime and my last two were fairly close together. So I've been booze free, like completely booze free for seven months or something now. Um, before that, special occasion, glass of champagne, but that was about it. Otherwise, just couldn't do it. And especially in the early days, I really just eliminated it. It was just too hard on my system. It caused too much havoc, and it definitely did not support a good pain-free period. That's for sure. And none of the people I have seen have had good. I mean, they all just did the same thing I did. It was like, forget it. I mean, maybe I'll have a glass of champagne at like my wedding, (laughs) but that's basically it. So we've all just let it just go. And this, I mean, I was a bartender in New York City for 10 years. Like I'm a snob about my booze to start with. I only like the good stuff. (laughs) Like I've already been like, why would you put mixers in gin? It's delicious as it is. Like I've always, I've already been like a high level purist about my booze. So when I had to do this, I was like, well, I already don't drink unless there's something good. So let's just take it, you know, because I was already too much of a booze snob. I was like, I'm not drinking that. You went from not being a cheap date to back to being a cheap date. Basically. Yeah. Basically. I'll take a soda with a splash of bitters. Lime. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really intrigued now about the overlaps in our populations because a lot of people I see are people with chronic Lyme or other tick-borne infections. And those things all are, have inflammation as a, as a root for why those people are super sick from it, which I presume is also true for people who get, who have endo. I mean, they have, they have other setups for that, but clearly if you're lowering the inflammation in your body through avoiding yeah. inflammatory foods and having benefit, there's some component there too. But my people also often experience cyclical worsenings. And I'm, yeah. I'm now like focused on the fact that if you, if you have a monthly cycle of 28 days, which is four weeks, which some people do and some people don't, right? It may not be the normal, but it's sort of what's right. considered normal. That's the same flare, flare cycle that a lot of Lymies have. And they find that they flare on their periods. And so now I'm wondering yeah. if, there's some, can, if there's some, I mean, I know that hormonal changes yeah. can actually be responsible for pathogens in your body kind of coming to life and and doing their thing. Do you work with any of that? Yeah. Well, 
there's two things. One is because endo tends to have an estrogen overload, I take out soy. That's really my like, I consider alcohol a sugar. So when I'm talking to people, I say these are my five. Mm. And soy is that fifth one for us. Um, but that alone is not going to make a difference for the vast majority of people because it's like the auto, it's, it is that inflammation with an extra cherry of, oh, by the way, here's some hormonal imbalance too. Yay. So it's like, it helps, but it certainly doesn't like do much in the big scheme of things. Um, however, in the hormonal process, we have a hormone called prostaglandins, which is what squeezes the uterus, gets it going to have a menstrual cycle to release the, the endometrial tissue, essentially. Those prostaglandins actually are in every cell of your body. They're just an inflammation, like that's their job. So you cut yourself and it swells up, that inflammation is that prostaglandin. And it's basically saying to your body, like, send in the white blood cells. Come, we, we're going to close this wound up best we can, but we need you guys to come in and, you know, make a scab and do your thing. And it's the reason a lot of uh, people who menstruate have abdominal, like, digestive issues because the prostaglandins affect the surrounding tissue, which is the bowel. So the quote unquote period poops that are a, a factor in any woman who's had a period, mo most of us, um, that's, it's the prostaglandins, it's the excess of that anti, of that inflammation hormone happening and it's just spreading. So, you know, I have arthritis in my knees. I notice that my knees get a little bit worse in the, right before my period, first couple of days of my period. And it's just like, oh, hey, excess prostaglandins, get out of there. <laughs> so anti-inflammatories, right? It's like we focus on a lot of anti-inflammatories to help soothe and reduce that prostaglandin reaction to the menstrual cycle. You need to have them. They're critical, but they get a little overexcited and they start jumping around to the surrounding organs and then they cause mayhem. So that to me makes a lot of sense because your intestines, your bowel, they're all, your bladder, they're all right around your uterus. So if they start spilling over, you get higher, more painful cramps and then surrounding digestive issues as well. Right. I, I had terrible periods in my high school years and early college. And one of the things that was recommended to me then was to take ibuprofen Mm -hmm. like full dose three times a day, but the day before my period would start. Mm -hmm. I found that if I took it once my period started, all bets were off and it was not changed at all. But if I could catch that 24 hour window and just that day, mm -hmm. interestingly enough, if I was too soon, it would prevent a period. Like oh, I would yeah. skip my period if I started like two days before or 72 hours before. But if I hit that day right and I, I took ibuprofen around the clock with food, I would have like 90% improvement in terms of like just 90% less pain. Yeah, suffering. that makes perfect sense. I mean, I do turmeric capsules. So- Find that helpful, that works too? Yeah, post ovulation, I do a couple of things. I increase fiber just to help sweep out the excess hormones, just you know, keeping the bowel moving well, um, getting everything out. 
you know, water, good fats, all those real soothing foods as well. Uh, And then I do um, pop some turmeric capsules in that lead up time to my period. And I find that it helps reduce, I mean, even brain fog, those just kind of incidental, I guess we would say, um, symptoms of period problems. And I mean, brain fog, fatigue, those things happen to anybody. That can, that can be a symptom of just PMS. So I wonder if we could do like kind of a walk through the typical cycle and you can talk about the different phases of it and what people might expect in different parts of their cycle. Um, I know it'll be relevant for every woman, right? And yeah. maybe men who are interested in this might find some benefit too, right? Like why would a guy want to know yeah. that? Well, I'll tell you, the dudes I've gotten to work with by proxy. So the husbands of the women that I have worked with, almost all of them had better attunement to their wives' cycles than their wives did. Interesting. They were ovulating. They, or at least they knew like, this is the time of your cycle that I'm going to slide in and... <laughs> and you're more likely to say yes. So like they knew that their wives were more, had a higher libido during this time. And like they, and they also knew, okay, PMS, I see what, you know, like they knew before their wives did, they had a better attunement to their wives' cycles than they did. So I'm so, sure you've gotten awesome. everyone's attention. Back and listen. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's now like full attention. All right. So, so what do we need yeah. to know? What do we need to know if so, we're menstruating or know someone who is? Yeah. So the idea is think of it as a season, as the seasons. So menstrual phase is winter. It's that just low energy, cuddle in the couch, drink the hot cacao, just keep it chill kind of vibe. Um, And your hormones are actually pretty much flatlined at this point. So in fact, you may have higher testosterone levels than anything else during this part of your cycle. So they're, they really just all flatline. That's what triggers your bleed is your progesterone, estrogen, and everything declines, triggering your, your menstrual cycle. But you come out of that as your hormones start to rise again. So as you're menstruating and those days start to get lighter, it's because your estrogen is starting to rise. And you've got some other hormones, the FSH, a follicle uh, stimulating hormone is growing, luteinizing hormone is growing. These things basically help with regulation. So you go through your follicular phase, think of it as springtime. One of the key images that I like to give people is, you know, when a seed is sprouting and that little guy is uncurling and rising towards the sun, kind of what your follicles are doing in your ovaries. There's 10 to 15 of them all ripening an egg. The best one will win, but they're all ready, little they're just sort of growing. And it's springtime. Bleedos starting to rise, which is three to four days for every woman because the egg has a 24-hour shelf life, is your summertime. So it's that full bloom. One egg has been deemed the best. All the other follicles have died. There's one that explodes. An egg comes out, and then I, you know, goes makes its way into the the um, oh goodness, fallopian oh, tubes. Yep. And then uh, and then potentially gets uh, fertilized or just passes through. 
it's a short phase. It's the summer phase. Everyone feels their best in this phase, but let's remember if we had summer all over the time, we would live in the desert. We need the fall and the winter. We need the spring rains. You can't have summer all the time. <laughs> so we come out of that ovulation into late summer, your, your early luteal phase where you still have energy. Your, your hormones will come down a little bit. Your testosterone will come down back to base level. Your estrogen will come down after ovulation, but your progesterone will start to grow. And in this early luteal phase, this late summer phase, your estrogen will have come down, but it'll come back up. So you'll get kind of a little second rise, not as high as ovulation, but you're like, oh yeah, like you want to wrap up stuff too. It's, ah, oh, let's finish this project. Ooh, let's finish contacting all of these people. Oh, let's wrap this up. You get motivated and you want to wrap things up and it's great energy. And then as that estrogen dips again, you move into the autumn, fall, late luteal part portion. And this is really where most of us find our energy starts to fatigue. We start to get brain fog or you may have PMS symptoms, which is not a phase of your cycle, the hormonal imbalance. But you may find yourself ending up with some PMS-like symptoms in this late luteal phase. But this is when all of those hormones are coming down. This is also sometimes where women will have a libido spike because those hormones will come down. Meanwhile, your testosterone is hanging out at this base level. And sometimes those hormones will go down below your base level. And a, and a lot of women find themselves with a spike in libido right before first day of their periods because of that hormonal shift. But it's the fall time, it's that autumn feeling, and this is the point where if we didn't live in such a results-driven patriarchy complex with your busy badges of honor, we would chill out and relax and look at, you know, it's like bringing in the harvest and then going, ah, oh, job well done. Now we can kick back for the winter, eat the food that we've made and stored, we've got everything ready, and we can just cozy in for the season. Ideally, that's what you do and you get to actually enjoy that time, but it's tough to do and it's tough to silence the voice in your head saying, I should be doing X, Y, Z, but your hormones would really love it if you just chilled out. <laughs> yeah. And you are, I just put it out there because I follow you, I follow your Facebook group and you are the master of chill and really are sort of setting the bar pretty high for self-care during that time. And I just want to acknowledge you for that and really appreciate that, that, that you're bringing that to the conversation because it's not well regarded in our culture to sort of slow down and make it easy. So, yeah. So one of your missions seems yeah. to be to really do that. Tell us about the mission to end the taboo of menstruation. Yeah, so we don't know any of this stuff because there's a taboo and it's hard. And there's been studies done where the people in this, the scientists in the study doing the study said, ah, oh, well, we just threw out the abnormal findings of the women who were menstruating because they had a menstrual cycle and it's hard. So they, the whole stress response originally, the fight or flight stress response the menstruating people in that study had a different stress response, but rather than going, hmm, I wonder if women have a different stress response from men, they went, eh, they were menstruating, freaking women. And it took a woman coming in later and going, I wonder if maybe there's something else going on here and doing another study to go, 
Oh no, because women, I mean, there's a little bit of fight and flight in all of us, but women are tend to befriend stress response, not fight and flight. So while we may have that response in certain situations, more to the point, just that's the taboo. It, menstruation made it too hard. <laughs> so we have to have these conversations or it's never going to change. <laughs> yeah. And it's just an everyday thing. There's women who are having to make choices of whether it's a tampon or food on the table. There's homeless women who don't have the option of any kind of sanitary products. There are women who are still put out in in their culture. And I'm not going to say that it's only in certain cultures. I mean, I think we're familiar with the women who've died in India for being banished to the menstrual huts, but it happens here in this country too. We have women who don't graduate from school in this country because they can't go to school enough days because they can't afford menstrual products. So they can't go to school. So we have girls in our own country here in the U S who do not graduate from from high school because of their period. So we need to have these conversations and that's not even getting into the fertility conversation. Birth control, pharmaceuticals, the little amount of real studies on, on that and how it affects us long term, those kinds of things, short term will, uh, effects birth control have on women, the permanent ones. I mean, there, Every time I talk to somebody who's on birth control, they have no idea what the side effects are, even, the, even like the common ones. So it's just, we don't have these conversations. And if we did have these conversations, women, all of us have been on birth control at one point or another, and 80% of us didn't need to be. It's, we don't need it if you know your cycle. Women are only fertile six days out of the month. We don't need to be on birth control. And it's not the solution to PMS, sore boobs, brain fog, PCOS, all of those problems. It's, it's just not the solution to it. It's a Band-Aid, but it's never going to fix it. And it's not addressing the root cause at all. So everything that's happening in your body is still happening. Whatever that problem is, it's compounding. And now that you're on birth control, it's just going to go someplace else. My thyroid crashed it went someplace else. Not that the birth control even helped, but it's just going to do that. It's going to go to your next genetic weak link essentially and take it out. So all of this, it, the eco-friendliness of it, right? Disposables are only second to diapers in what we as a globe throw away the most of. It really the, the numbers of the disposables are shocking and horrifying. I was doing the research for my book on this and I was like, what? Like I knew it was a lot, but I was, even I was just like billion a year, Fif 10 to 10 billion a year. What? Like it was just nuts to me. And none of that's good for the environment. Organic disposables are just bad for the environment, which means we need to have a conversation about eco-friendly things. And that means we have to have a conversation about getting comfortable touching your blood for a lot when it contains stem cells. It's the opposite of dirty. In fact, it contains stem cells that even early studies show replicate far bone marrow blood cells. So what are you recommending for people? So if a young girl who gets her first period and you know, she knows about tampons, she knows about pads, she maybe doesn't know about the ecological impact, but wants to know, wants to do right by Mother Earth, what are the options for her? 
There's a few. The most common ones are cloth pads and menstrual cups. And cloth pads are not what we think of as pads. They're, first of all, have come a long way since the 90s when I started using them. They're bamboo linings, they're thin, they're lightweight, they're incredible, and they're comfortable, and they fit really well. There's period underwear now, and in fact, there are companies that make period underwear specifically for teens. This also is several different sizes and shapes that will fit everyone. And it might be comfortable, might not be comfortable, depending on the person. And I mean, that's true of adults too. Not, and I, I don't like particularly using anything internal, but you know, sometimes you have to and it gets the job done. Um, there's also other things. Sponges are one of them. Sea sponges are one of them. They're a little trickier to um, manage because you have to really be careful about the cleanliness of them, but they're easier to insert and take out than a cup. So some women find it's a nice bridge between the two to get used to it. So there's definitely options out there. Good, good advice. So what are the words of wisdom? I know that, I know that one of the things that you're big on is charting. And, and I also am big on charting for people with complex chronic symptoms and mystery illnesses because so many things that you can kind of understand from data that you've collected can really inform what you think about what's going on, right? And it also helps when you're trying new things to be charting and to make sure you're paying attention to the results of your little mini experiments. What sorts of things are you, are you encouraging your clients to chart and how might that be applicable to this larger group here? Yeah, we have a pretty extensive chart, um, but it's, I've created a mandala of it, which I will give you a little sneak peek of. It looks like this. It's blank when you get it. Um, and then you just sort of fill in your own. Ooh, nice. Yeah. And then you just sort of fill in your own information. So you get to choose like your colors and things, symbols, whatever that means to you. And I know that a lot of moms do it with their kids and they just change what the symbols mean for their kids. So it's kind of like, so the drops are for your cervical fluid. So you're tracking how much flow you have, clots, those kinds of things. And then when you're out of your menstrual cycle, you're charting your cervical fluid. The, um, there's a star on there for charting your cervix. So if you're trying to not get pregnant or to get pregnant, you need to know what's going on with your cervix. And again, the women who are not using this for fertility or who are using it with their kids use that star for a whole bunch of other things. You know, like I helped the family today or I did my chores today. I use it to track my meditation because I'm not using it for fertility either. So I use it for meditation, but we track where the moon is in the sky up above quite literally. Is it a full moon or a new moon or in between our energy levels for that day? So did you feel like you had a lot of energy, medium, low, fatigue, napped for three hours, whatever that it looks like for you? We track our um, symptoms. So, you know, brain fog, fatigue, sore boobs, headaches, migraines, cramps, all of that stuff. You just, whatever you have, you track. We track our self-care. Did I take care of myself? And I have a couple of different colors for different things. So like, did I get into a body of water? Did I take a bath? Something like that. Did I go outside and walk in the fresh air and sunshine? So there's like, I have different ones for myself. Everyone kind of picks their favorites. Um, we track our basal body temperature, which is good for more than just fertility. It's great for checking on your thyroid, your adrenal health. It just keeps a good eye on that kind of thing. And like I said, my thyroid crashed 
So I use it to know when I need an iodine drop. So when my basal body temperature goes down below 96.5, I know it's time for a drop of iodine. And that helps me keep my thyroid working properly without meds. So, you know, it can be used for a lot of different things for that. Um, we track our emotions. So, you know, did you feel happy, sad, mad, introverted, extroverted, you know, whatever you want to track. Um, our food. And I kind of consider that it's the apple symbol and I kind of consider it as just consumption. So if you have a food trigger, like you were a, a bulimic or you had anorexia or something and food tracking triggers that, what did you consume otherwise? Did you watch a good movie? Did you have an informative podcast? Did you consume something helpful and healing for your body or did you not, you know, but I use it for food. It's what I use to figure out what foods did not work for me and what foods did work for me. And I'm doing a little experiment myself right now. I haven't in a long time, but I'm going back through dairy again to see how it feels with myself. And I've been doing a little, just changing it up, just going, oh, I'm going to track my dairy intake for a couple of months and see if it has any in effect on my on my symptoms and then of course our digestion did you poop today or not <laughs> was it good or not <laughs> so you have to know how your digestion is going because that's your hormones that's how you get them out the excess out of your body so we've got to know if you're actually flowing through properly or not so those are the basics and like I said, anybody can chart and a lot of times people will do it sort of as a family and see, people will adjust their, for their needs. Um, but that's just the basics of what I think are the most important things. Love it. I love it. I'm getting one <laughs> and I'm going to recommend it because the one I've used in the past is a free tool online, which you can import all of your things that you're checking, but this is just so comprehensive and more importantly, it's so beautiful. Like, I don't want to sit down to a computer every day and log something. You know, this is just gorgeous. Thank you for walking us yeah. through it. It's part of the end of the night ritual for me. Like, all the screens get put away. I do a little journaling. I do my charting type of thing. And you can get those charts for free on my website forever. Like, every book, you could just have the free printouts. That's how much I believe in it. Thank yeah. you. On behalf of all humans who will eventually download that free thing, thank you. That's huge. Tell us about your book. Yeah, I wrote The Revolution Will Be Bloody. Love it. Which is a book all about period, how we got here. So the first section is how we ended up in this taboo land and separated from our womb wisdom. And then the mid whole middle section is just the legit stuff you need to know about periods. The basics, the crap that I wish we all would have learned in school when we were like nine, you know? And then... Um, and then the second half, or the third section, third trimester, if you will, is how do you apply this to life? How do you take this outside to the wider world? How do you show more people? So it's a bit of activism on how you can make the world a better place uh, by actually speaking up and sharing with people. I explain the chart in detail in here. We go through the whole thing. I've got some good little hormonal balance graphs for you in there so you can see what things are happening and what you need. And I have this goodie as well, which nice. if you get the charting book, there's a full page of that you can rip off to get on your grocery or on your uh, refrigerator. <laughs> 
but it's all those basics. It's like everything you needed to know. And I guide you through my sensual system, which is how all six of your senses relates to your hormones and how you can actually improve everything you're doing by just taking into account your cycle. What can be better? Food, movement, workouts, sex, meditation, just everything. If you're looking at where you are in your cycle and where you're heading next, you can make your life way easier. Just, I mean, a basic example is you've got the kids and you've got play dates. Why not have the kids over to your house when you're in your follicular, your springtime phase, and you've got lots of energy to run around chasing a whole bunch of kids? And why don't you suggest somebody else do the play date in your little phase when you just need a freaking minute of silence and a nap on the couch? It's just these little details, but they make your whole life so much better. Your quality of life improves exponentially. Amazing. So it's basically a user's manual for anybody with a uterus. Yeah. 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 Or love somebody with a uterus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That means everybody. Awesome. I'm getting it. Yeah. The whole menstrual movement is incredible. And, um, but there are, are, are books out there now that are for kids for younger people as well, like graphic books and stuff. So everyone can find a book these days that's appropriate for their kids. Good to know. Good to know. So let's say somebody really wanted to work with you because they said, that's exactly the angle I've been missing Mm -hmm. in my own healing journey. What would be their next step with you? Uh, Their next step would be to come jump in my Facebook group. So I have a Facebook group called the Red Circle Lady Business. And then as things open, so I've got a school that's for coaches. I've got a program that's for women in business who want to run their business with flow, you know, make more money in less time. And I've got one that's my central system. So as the doors open to those different things, I'll always announce them in my Facebook group. So you can always jump in. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else that you haven't said yet that you would like to say to this community of people seeking healing in all sorts of ways from your heart? Yeah, I know what it's like to be sitting there going, oh my God, I have to deal with this for the next 40 years. Like this is never going to, my life, every month, I'm going to spend an entire month, a week in my bathroom, on my floor, throwing up from the pain in the bathtub an absolute mess and and it's horrifying. And then to think I have to do this again and to think, I I mean, I definitely was that person on the floor of the bathroom with the prescribed narcotics going, I wonder if I can keep this whole bottle down or if I'm just going to throw it up. So, and if I woke up or not, wasn't really worried about that part of it. Just was trying to end the pain. And, uh, so I know what it's like to be looking at this is not this is this is going to happen again and again and again and I'm never going to be able to escape. But don't stop pursuing a solution and keep that hope alive because there is a solution. We just have to find it. And if you give up, you've given up. But keep that hope alive. Keep looking for the things that work for you. Keep trying things because there is a solution out there. Wonderful. Thank you for that message of hope. And thank you for your time. This has been awesome. I've learned a ton from you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, it's a subject dear and near to my heart. So I'm, I just, oh, I just don't want anyone else to go through what I had to go through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, we appreciate your sharing.
Thanks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. Thanks for listening and see you next time in the Healing Grove.